0: Welcome to the Believe in
1: 76ers podcast, I'm Justin Grasso,
0: and I'm Kevin McCormick,
1: and this is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Bleed Podcast Network. Kev, are you doing okay today?
0: Um, I'm all right. I'm hanging in there. There's I'm, I'm, something... I'm
1: asking because of what happened, what went down. So unfortunately, Kev was not able to make uh, Sunday's game, and something big happened. Aside from the game, before the game, something big happened. We got to get into it right away. We'll get 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 your sad stuff out of the way. How are you feeling today knowing that Triple H, yes, Triple H came out with Joel Embiid during game one of the second round against the Atlanta Hawks. Triple H came out with Joel Embiid, who was holding a sledgehammer, to come out and
0: ring the bell. How are you feeling today knowing that? you missed that. If I was there in person, I'd honestly say it'd probably be the greatest moment in my 24 years <laughs> on this earth. <laughs> but since I was not a part of me just feels like it, it's a dream. Like who would have ever thought well, everyone always talks about people that they want to come ring the bell. And it's always like uh, Sam Hinky or, you know, the usual is Dr. J Alan Iverson, you name it. But triple H, not only did he, not only did triple H ring the bell, they came out to the dx theme music they had the custom shirts triple h with the sledgehammer like it was literally it would have been like the perfect culmination of all my interests coming together in one singular moment and i didn't get to witness it in person (laughs) i'm sorry that happened to you i don't know Um, if i'll ever recover to be honest
1: (laughs) it was like i i can't believe that happened like even right now it's been it's been over 24 hours since then I'm still thinking about it I still have the theme the uh, dX theme stuck in my head like the whole day I've just been like screaming degeneration X in my head <laughs> and like I I mean we talked about this on um I don't remember what episode it was one of the early ones. And we said, like, man, they got to make this DX theme happen. And you say, like, people on Twitter talk about it all the time. It never happens. Like, anytime someone wants something to happen during that bell ringing ceremony, it never happens. This happened. Like, this is real. I still can't believe it happened. But Triple H came out with Joel Embiid to ring the bell. It was just, like, it was so unexpected. Like, like how I was telling you beforehand, the lights, the lights go out. Matt Cord does his, you know, his, his whole the bell is a whatever spiel. I don't, I don't have it memorized at this point, which is crazy that I don't. And he goes ringing tonight's bell. And then it's just like five seconds of silence. And then all you hear is, are you ready? And it starts like the whole place lights up green, triple H, Joel and B come out. And it, I mean, at that point, everyone in the crowd is probably thinking, The Sixers are going to smoke this team. Like, that's it. The Atlanta Hawks are done. Game one. It's all the Sixers. And then that's not how it went. What did you see from the Sixers in that first half that they just completely did not come out the way you thought they would come out?
0: I mean, part of it is you kind of just have to tip your cap to Atlanta to a point, too. They hit almost everything. Like, they always say it's a make or miss league. Atlanta was just burying everything. I mean, they did it for most of the game, but it stood out the most in the first half. But Trey Young just doing Trey Young things, whether it was picking up cheap fouls or taking two steps across half court and, and drilling a 30 footer. I mean, it was just they came out and they punched the Sixers in the mouth, to be honest. I don't know if I don't know if I could say the Sixers really were overlooking the Atlanta Hawks, but if they were underestimating them in any sense, they Atlanta came out in the first half and said, Hey, we don't care that you're the one seed. We don't care that you're this top defensive juggernaut and like a, a, an Eastern conference favorite. We're going to come in here and like, we're going to act like this is our house. Trey Young has fully embraced the super villain role. And I think the team's really starting to fall in line with that, but, Danny Green struggled early on and the pick and roll was the pick and roll defense is something that I wrote about in my keys to victory article that went out before the series started, because that that's a big component of the, their offense that that pairing of Trey young and Clint Capella. And in that first half with, you know, Danny Green just going over and Joel and B dropping back, Trey young had a field day with it. And it, it really didn't show until the second half where doc finally started to adjust from it for things starting to work, but turnovers were the big thing. Nine turnovers in the first quarter, Nineteen is a hole in the game. I mean, you just you can't give up the ball that many times and expect to win in the playoffs. But you know, just Atlanta going nuclear and the the turnover issues early on were the two big things that stood out. Yeah, I, I don't think that the Sixers overlooked the Hawks.
1: I th- I think it it was pretty clear that in the first round, this team is for real. Like Trey Young is establishing himself as someone who's really not afraid of that spotlight, that playoff spotlight. You know, there, there's some young players who come in and and they kind of disappear. And uh, that's just not Trey young. And, and he proved that again, really on Sunday. Cause like, again, hostile crowd, like it's not easy to win in Philly. I, you know, I confidently stated last weekend that I don't think the Sixers lose a game at home during these playoffs. And then Atlanta came in and I mean, there couldn't have been more, a more perfect first half for them. Like you said, they hit everything and the Sixers really weren't hitting their shots and they couldn't take care of the ball. And and that's a huge issue, especially when you get to the playoffs and you're playing a team that really wants to make a statement. And like I said, th- the Sixers came in, they had this, this crazy intro and you know, they put all this energy into this intro and you have to believe that the Hawks are watching that. And they're thinking like, this team's overlooking us. Like th- this is, this is a circus right now going on. They're bringing in WWE wrestlers and all this. And Atlanta wants to punch them in the mouth and the whole time I'm thinking I don't know how many times have you seen the movie Step Brothers a good amount okay so you know that scene where they're like they're interviewing for a bunch of jobs but then they get to the (laughs) one with Seth Rogen and Seth Rogen's like this is awesome you're wearing tuxedos it's funny as hell like let's do this you got the job and then like the whole the whole fart happens and then he's like you know what now the tuxedos seem kind of messed up (laughs) <laughs> that's how I felt about that intro, where it's like, this is awesome. They're going to win and blah, blah, blah. Now it's like, now they're getting smoked. Now the intro seems kind of messed up. That looks stupid. So that that's just how I felt watching the first half of that game. And, um, you know, you mentioned Danny Green. Obviously, Danny Green comes out, and he's the one guarding Trey Young. Now on a team that has Ben Simmons, that has Matisse Thybul, I'm sure not a lot of people – wanted to see Danny green guard Trey young. Honestly, I expected it. I'm sure you did. Um, it's just the way doc rolls. In the first half he has Danny green guarding those guys. And then he, he runs to that in the second half of Ben Simmons. So with that being said, as I expected Danny green to guard Trey young at a certain point, I expected doc rivers to make that early adjustment to say, Hey, this is not working out. So, I think it's safe to say Danny Green had his worst performance of the playoffs, correct?
0: Yeah, that was a rough showing. And it stinks, too, because he did so well against Russell Westbrook in round one and then that game won against Trey. Obviously, two very different beasts. Trey is a lot more crafty. He can hit a shot from pretty much anywhere. So, you know, different defensive mindset. But I I was with you. I fully expected Danny Green to open the game on him just because, Doc Rivers, typically in the start of games, likes to use Ben Simmons as a floater, you know, save his energy for the guts of the game. And whether people want to admit it or not, putting Danny Green on, on Trey Young to start the game was the right move. And the beginning of the third quarter showed it. Doc Rivers made the right. adjustment in the second half to put Ben Simmons on him. And what happened literally in, what, 40 seconds? Ben picks up two cheap fouls and he goes from one foul to three fouls. And the one the, the refs called it like half court. I don't get how Trey Young is like i get being crafty and he does a very good job of putting himself in a position for refs to make calls but they bail him out incessantly i don't know if it's the size thing or you know they're trying to pave him for the superstar treatment but it's just ridiculous but if ben simmons starts the game on trey young and that's how they start off then you lose ben simmons for a majority of the first half because he's in foul trouble and you need him for other areas of the game you know rebounding facilitation scoring and such so it, the Tandy Green experiment was not well. I fully expect him to guard Trey Young again in the series. I don't think we've seen the last of it. But, you know, starting the game, starting with Ben is tough because you don't want him to pick up two cheap fouls early on just because that's 90% of Trey Young's game.
1: Yeah, and I'm glad you explained that because obviously, you know, you, you think Ben Simmons has to come in and guard the, the star player from the jump. But that is, that's the real issue there is, like, you can't lose Ben Simmons – down the stretch, you put him in early, he gets in the foul trouble. Then now you have a whole world of problems and then it just adds on to the list. But going back to your point um, with the Trey young fouls, as frustrating as it is. And I said, I I can't remember who I said this to yesterday is you just have to live with that because guess what? On your end, Joel and B gets a lot of questionable calls as well. So like there was a sequence when Joel flopped, got the foul and then I think it was actually the next the next offensive possession for Atlanta is when that questionable call from uh, Matisse on Trey Young. And then it got challenged. Yeah, but that's my point. That happened right after a possession where Joel got a call that probably shouldn't have been a foul. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you love it when Joel gets the calls, but got to deal with the calls for Trey, too. It's unfortunate. I think it's bad for the game, but this is the NBA. So it's, it, it's not, listen, it, <laughs> I'm sure you watched the, the New York series. Knicks fans are, they're still livid about it, about how many calls uh, Trey young got in that series. I think they were rooting for the Sixers yesterday, just because they hate Trey young so much at this point, And they're still snapping on Twitter. Like, this guy gets all these calls and and whatnot and blah, blah, blah. It's going to be frustrating to watch for sure. But at the same time, this is what it's like to watch Joel Embiid when you're not, you know, a Sixers fan or someone covering the Sixers. It's just the way the game is going and you have to, you have to live with those calls and it's unfortunate, but it's the reality.
0: I agree to some of that part of, you know, with Joel Embiid getting calls, some of it's just because he's so massive physically that, it's so easy for him to naturally draw contact and players just having to throw themselves at him because really that's the only way to combat the guy. I mean, he's got incredible footwork. He's seven foot, 280 pounds. There's not many players that can, you know, traditionally defend him and slow him down. While with Trey Young, it's so much just like, he, he does a whole head bobbing thing and he hooks players with his arms. And th- even he was doing it during free throw attempts. There was one point in the second half, Ben Simmons was at the foul line. And he like <laughs> yeah, tried tried to trip himself after a free throw attempt. And I'm just watching on TV. Like, dude, what are you doing? What are you trying to accomplish here? And it's just, it's so blatantly obvious and it's still, I don't mm-hmm. understand how refs still just let him get away with it. You know, he's going to get some just because, you know, he's crafty and, and he's good and he knows what he's doing, but what happened to the whole playoff fails and guys getting to play in the playoffs? I feel like even in the Washington series, these games have still been officiated so tight that it's still, it really does still feel like regular season.
1: Yeah. there. I mean, there was a lot of bad calls, even just where there's a bad, a lot of bad no calls, even Danny Green's having his Jersey ripped yeah, right, in, right front in front of the front referee,
0: of, right in front of a referee. I, I can't.
1: <laughs> yeah. So like, I, I, like, as long as the game is just called both ways, I guess it's fine. But when you really don't want to watch a game, just not even from a coverage standpoint, just from a fan standpoint, no one wants to watch a game and feel like the referees are, are, I I don't even know the word, not even like screwing a team over, just like screwing up the watching experience as a whole. Like if you're someone who doesn't even have, like, if you're not even rooting for the Sixers or rooting for the Hawks, you're probably going to get frustrated watching that game. With just the calls that they come up with even the one um the one was like a travel where uh who the who was it it was i think it was bogdanovich took like four steps (laughs) he took like four steps like trying to fight for the ball and there was nothing there was no call and it was just like it it's frustrating to watch just as a as a fan as a whole but going back to trey young Obviously, we know Danny Green's going to get some action on him, probably won't get as much action, especially if he's he gets off to a start like he did on Sunday. So we all know that you can't exclusively put Ben Simmons on there because he's going to get in foul trouble. So what do you think a solution is here? Who should be guarding Trey Young in a situation where you don't want Danny Green on him that whole time?
0: I think you can get away with still using Danny Green at stretches, but I think the the issue is changing what you're seeing from him. That drop pick and roll coverage is just not going to work. It, it almost was like nightmare fuel. Like I was watching last postseason where Brett Brown did that drop coverage on every pick and roll and Jason Tatum and Kimball Walker were just stepping into wide open threes incessantly. I think in the second half, when they really started to blitz the pick and roll and they were trapping him more, it worked a lot better. I mean, you want to get the ball out of his hands. You want to make the rest of that roster beat you. You don't want to sit back and just let their star player win. Yes, Atlanta has, you know, they have a lot of talent, but they don't have that, you know. I'll live with Bogdan Bogdanovich beating the Sixers. I'm not going to live with Trey Young beating the Sixers just because. He is their offensive juggernaut. So, I mean, you just want to force the ball out of his hands, force guys like Bogdanovich, like John Collins, like Kevin Herter to make plays because, you know, that's where the edge is. You, they're much easier to defend. And it really just comes down to that. I mean, outside of maybe throwing Matisse thibault like have Matisse Thibel be the first guy off the bench, live with him getting in foul trouble early, see how much time he can stall before having to put Ben Simmons on him. But it really feels like after seeing how game one was officiated, that it's going to be very tough to have Ben Simmons on Trey Young in long stretches.
1: Yeah, I, I don't think we're gonna see Simmons on on Young until the second half again. As much as that's gonna bother people, it's just the reality that you have to live with. But yeah, like you said, I mean when when they started trapping Trey Young in in the second half, you know, Atlanta's ball movement beforehand was really good. And obviously they have good shooters. But again, we we go back to when we were previewing the series. This is a young team that doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. So when the Sixers started getting really aggressive and blitzing the Hawks, they looked flustered, like really flustered. And that's why the Sixers almost came back and, and uh, pulled off that comeback win. So I think just get aggressive from the beginning, and, and that should really make a difference in, in Tuesday's game two. Um, another thing that the Sixers should – I'm not even going to say could – should do is go away from that dreadful all bench lineup. Kev is like having a stroke right now. (laughs) You
0: can't see, but this guy is having a stroke right now. It's terrible. I mean, we really, here we are another round into the playoffs still asking ourselves when this lineup is going to get laid to rest. It wasn't successful in the regular season. It didn't work in the first round. It failed miserably, miserably on Sunday. I went back and I was – on the NBA's website, like after games are fully done and all, you can like range the box score from specific times right. on the floor. So I tried to go back and find the stretch of when Doc ran the all-bench lineup. So they were pretty much out there for the last two minutes of the first quarter and the first four minutes of the second quarter in that stretch – George Hill, Tyrese Maxey, Dwight Howard were all a minus fourteen. Furkan Korkmaz was a minus fifteen. And Matisse Steibel was a minus eight. That that's the game right there, and that stretch. That's, yeah, that's
1: definitely un, by unacceptable. Four. That
0: that was the run that made a you know eleven to twelve point deficit, the 25-26 point deficit if they're able to hold their own or if, you know, you have Tobias Harris or Ben Simmons out there to hold the fort down a little bit and stop the bleeding in a sense, and you go into halftime with a little bit less of a deficit and, you know, don't have to play as much catch up as you did in the second, like you said, when they upped that intensity towards the end, Atlanta, they were rattled. They were not ready for a defense like that. And it showed they struggled mightily to get the ball across half court and showed shades early on of when, Nick Nurse used to up the intensity against the Sixers before, and you know those dreaded flashbacks start to happen. But <laughs> if you don't roll out that all-bench lineup and, and you keep a starter out there, you know it, it really could have stopped the bleeding and made life simpler. Just the offensive inconsistency time and time again proves to be an issue with that group. But Doc Rivers, I don't know why at this point in the season – Still has faith in that group. Most teams aren't even going that deep to have an all bench lineup, and Doc Rivers is not only is still going that deep, but rolling them all out there with without one of MB Simmons, or Tobias on the floor.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, in the back of my mind, I knew, I like had a feeling he wasn't finished with it. Like he he's giving zero indication that he wasn't going to roll at that all bench lineup. If anything, he teased it again. After the first round ended, but even rolling with that lineup, there was a clear point early on that this is not going to work, and your team is in trouble, and you should abandon that. And that I think definitely played a part because there are a lot of people who are saying this is Doc's worst coached game. I you said you said people were saying ever. I. I agreed with when they said Sixers in the first half because there was just a point where it was so obvious that somebody else that starts has to come in. And he just kept rolling with that lineup and it just got worse and worse and worse. And then, like you said, second half comes in, you go in the halftime, you're trailing 20 points. In what way is that ideal? And a lot of that is because of your all-bench lineup. And I'm pretty sure, I can't remember for sure, but he rolled with it again in the second half. Am I wrong or am I right on that?
0: I think it, it uh, wasn't long. I it forget. was like... Yeah, if he did, it was a very short stretch. I don't yeah. remember off the top of my head. That that run at the end of the first, early in the second, is the one that like I vividly picture.
1: Right. I mean, and I, I could be wrong, but I just do remember a point where it was four... I think it was four um backups on the court and then somebody somebody got up to the scorer's table and I was like no way there's no way he's going to go all five bench players again but I mean listen what what he said after the game still doesn't even give me like an indication that he's yeah, finished he, with it
0: he said we'll see like the, what is there to see <laughs> like, what, game what more are you is there watching? to see And the thing that bothers me the most about it is that as he dives through the rotate, like as he slowly funnels it in, the last starter on the floor typically before it becomes the all bench lineup is Seth Curry. Now, no disrespect to Seth Curry. He's actually been incredible in these post this postseason as a whole. But when people say the Sixers need a starter on the floor at all times, Seth Curry isn't typically the guy (laughs) they have circled. That should be the one out there with them like yes he can provide a little bit of juice but you want Ben Simmons out there you want Tobias Harris out there you want Joel Embiid out there someone that can hold the fort down because like we were just saying with the the inexperience on the Atlanta side there's still a lot of inexperience on the Sixers bench Tyrese Maxey a rookie Matisse Thybul in his second season Furkan Korkmaz, still rather young 23 24 years old so I mean granted Dwight Howard and George Hill are, are nice vets who could stabilize that but Like you said, it was clear early on that that lineup was going to crash and burn, and he just kind of went down with the ship.
1: And the issue there, too, is Dwight Howard's your seasoned veteran, your champion that just won last year. I mean, he looked bad yesterday. So then there's you got him coming in, and he was frustrated, too. So you double that with he's playing a bad game, and he's angry. He just plays even worse. And you're still just going with an all-bench lineup. Like, you have Ben Simmons, who – Ben Simmons will play 48 minutes if you ask him to. Yeah, same with Tobias Harris. Tobias Tobias Harris is going to play 48 minutes if you ask him to. So why don't you ask them to at least play close to 40 minutes? I mean, I don't even know. Especially after they
0: had three days off.
1: Yeah, so Ben Simmons played 37 minutes. He can play 40. Tobias Harris, 35 minutes. Tobias Harris should have at least 38. It's crazy. It it just doesn't make sense. And I get in the regular season when you roll with the all-bench lineup, the playoffs. I mean, the first round was like, okay, maybe he's just trying stuff out because because you still have the battle between Furk and Shake and Tyrese, like who who should be playing, and then mm-hmm. they all get minutes. I mean, Shake didn't play for long, but why was Shake Milton in the game?
0: Yeah,
1: why did she, why did Shake Milton? How many minutes did Shake Milton come in for? Played thirty eight seconds. What is the point of yeah. Shake Milton getting thirty eight seconds of playing time? Not in garbage time. It doesn't make sense. It makes zero sense.
0: And the biggest fear is, as he continues to roll it out, I mean, what if he's doing it again in the next round? When you're facing Brooklyn or you're facing Milwaukee, Mike Hoeser already showed that he's he's abandoned his, his long rotations. He's going to let Holiday, Giannis, and Middleton go the distance. Same with uh, Durant, Irving, and Harden if he's back by then. If you're rolling out an all-bench lineup against talent like that, Kyrie Irving's going to rip that all bench lineup to shreds. Same with Giannis. Th- these are dudes that may be toying with them at that point. I just – the the competition's getting stiffer. I get Doc's faith and you know, having the optionality and having so many guys that he can go to off the bench. But the rotation really needs to start to slim out because, the, you know, it, it's just needed. Teams don't go 10-11 deep. In the postseason, it's so extremely unorthodox and unheard of. And it's, it's like you said, we, we agreed that it felt like the first round was like this trial period. But trial runs over. You're playing real teams now. No no disrespect to the Wizards, but they didn't really deserve to be in the playoffs. And everyone knew it. Now you're playing a team that has a lot of talent. they are They're deep in their own right. And, you know, they can sustain their offense like they showed in game one. It's just that lineup has shown that it's not reliable. And if you're not reliable, you shouldn't be played in the playoffs. Simple as that.
1: Maybe that game was a blessing in disguise, and it's one of those learning experiences where (laughs) Doc finally gets it. Like, all right, game one at home should win. Get punched in the mouth, you lose. So then you decide, okay, maybe that all bench lineup isn't it. Maybe it's really time to stop toying around. But like I said, I got zero indication. With his post game quote that he's done with this, I think that he might try to roll it out again. It's so funny too because I think back to training camp when training camp was wrapping up. I remember I did like a uh, a, rot- a rotation prediction, and basically I had it as because he ca- he made it very clear like there's going to be an all bench lineup, and I remember putting that out there, and a lot of people called me dumb for saying that. Like, what is this? Uh, CYO ball. Like there's no all bench lineup. This is the pros. And then it's so funny because now we're here in the second round and he's still <laughs> rolling out an all bench lineup. But it's like, listen, that was the reality of it. He made it clear. He's going to do that. I'm just reporting what I'm, what I'm like hearing. And he's still rolling with it. And I don't know why. Uh, I hope that game two, we see something else because if not, we can, we can be talking about uh sixes going into Atlanta down. Oh, two.
0: Uh, i i don't think that's happening i
1: i, I think well Listen. we'll get to it. We'll, we'll do our prediction we'll do our prediction so let's let's get to the positive real quick we'll get off the all bench lineup unless you have some some crazy or uh do you have any other anything to add on that
0: no just please you look please, you look please, sick please, you're like turning please, green please get rid of it <laughs> just. You're, you're so sick um Like, if they're gonna roll with the all bench, like, can Sam Cassell come in and hold the four down with that all bench lineup? Is there a rule of that? (laughs) And our player coach is still a thing. Like, I know that was a like it was allowed in the 60s, and and Bill Russell was a player coach for the Celtics. Can Sam Cassell try and hold down that bench unit? Then maybe I might be able to get on board. Sam
1: and Doc, Sam and Doc, yeah, back to their playing days. (laughs) That'd be that'd be funny as hell. Um, let's get to the positive. All right, let's get off. Sixers lost. Um, Joel Embiid played, which. I didn't think he was going to play. I don't think you thought he was going to play. Came out for his pregame workout. Was moving really well. I know it's just, it's just workouts. It's just pregame stuff. I mean, he looked good. And then he goes in, by the way, I don't know if you know this, when uh, he runs back into the tunnel, you know how he flips that, that shot back. He made it yesterday. It was an no- again, yeah, it was It was one of those things where it's like everything you is going You think that right. was the moment he knew he was playing? <laughs> I think so. I think- <laughs> Cause I think, I think it ultimately came down to you go out there, see how the pain feels. If you're feeling good, then, you know, then you play whatever. So he makes that does his DX intro. And then that's when you're thinking, you know, everything's going to go right for this team. Nothing went right in the beginning, but Joel was a bright spot. And despite what he said after the game saying he has to play better, I don't know how you play any better when you put up tw- or 39 points in a second-round playoff game one, and
0: you're on a torn meniscus. Joel Embiid just continues to be an enigma. There, there's no putting this guy in a box. You throw logic and just everything out the window because he continues to just shatter all kinds of expectation. Uh, I, I'm with you. I didn't think he was going to play in game one. It kind of felt like he wasn't going to play. After Doc Rivers talking about you about know, how he was participating in practice but not really doing any live-action stuff. So it felt like he was close, but not that close. I was completely blown away when I saw the the report that he was going to be in and starting. But he was nothing short of incredible. And I think his comments after the game really stapled just how laser-focused he is right now. I think he's playing in a lot of pain. I think you saw it a lot in the second half where you know time's getting up and down the court. It really looked like the pain was starting to set in and hurt on him. But he didn't stop. The dude is – built different I mean <laughs> to put it that way and he, when he talked about after the game of you know throwing his body on the line and all he wants to do is win a championship and he's not going to let anything get in his way I think that performance was a testament to that there's no way that knee feels 100 percent you know a torn meniscus just sounds scary in general let alone going out and scoring 39 points on it so credit to him I think he's playing through a lot right now hopefully it kind of boosts the team of you know wanting to help lead the charge of him playing through hurt, but I mean, just incredible showing.
1: Definitely, definitely. And I, you know, after the game, he just wasn't, I, I mean, he was probably tired, but it, it seemed like he was, He had like this, I can't wait to to destroy this, this team in game two. <laughs> I don't know if he's going to play. We have no idea. Um, we should get an update at some point, probably after we record this, we'll get one pretty quickly. I'm going to assume he's going to be questionable going into the matchup just because that's that's the smart way to do it. Cause you don't know if he's definitely going to play that gives Atlanta, the idea that, all right, we have to prepare with Embiid. We have to prepare without Embiid on the floor. So it, it just kind of gives you a competitive advantage. It'll probably be a game time decision. And I think pretty much throughout the rest of the playoffs, it's going to be, you know, how much can he take really? And it's probably just going to be, you know, can you take, can you take this pain and play this next game? So he'll probably be questionable every single time, to be honest. But, yeah, I mean, his performance was – you can't ask for much better. And if he plays game two, I think he will at this point. I think unless there's some notable setback that we all see on the court, I think he's going to play. Um, so, assuming he plays, I think that the Sixers definitely win game two. And – um they're not going to come out looking like they did in game one. I think that that was just, I don't know if they were overlooking Atlanta. I don't think they were. I think it just came down to everything went right for Atlanta. And I think the Sixers just played soft on them a little bit. So as long as nobody gets into foul trouble and like Ben Simmons said, the refs, hopefully the refs let us play a little more physical. I think that they'll come out and the Sixers are going to be, super aggressive because they're going to get right to trap Trey young and make these other guys around them, beat them. Like you said, you can live with Trey young or no, you said you can live with Bogdan Mcdonovich beating you, but not Trey young. And it's true. You want to make the supporting cast beat you. So I think that the Sixers, even the score at one and one and they go into Atlanta looking to try and, uh, and get ahead. What do you think?
0: I think we see a statement win in game two. One thing that really stood out to me this year for the Sixers is just how personal they took everything. Like When you look back to the first time uh, the Sixers played Brooklyn post-James Harden trade, and when Ben Simmons finally got his hands on James Harden defensively, you saw he was putting his all into it and he made a statement that game that, hey, they made the right decision not trading me for this guy, and he was doing everything in his power to show that was right. And then when you go to the Knicks game at home when Tobias Harris just completely erupted on Julius Randle, you know, he hits that shot in the clutch and he's screaming, I'm an all-star to the crowd and just how fired up he was. It, you saw how just how personal they take things and how it elevates their game in the right moments. And I think that they're going to take that loss personally, as they should. You let a team come in and beat you on your home floor, a place where you have been pretty much unstoppable for the past two seasons. And, I think they rectify that in game two. They're going to come out strong. I think Joel Embiid's going to be hungry. All of them are going to be hungry to come and and just make that statement of, hey, you stole game one. Congratulations. But, you know, we're taking this series back now.
1: Yeah, and and while you were going through that, also I remember um, many points during uh, Sunday's game that they got frustrated over, uh, you know, a lack of calls from the refs for their side and then obviously calls against them. I think that that's another thing that, you know, they get a day to cool down because they were mad. Like they were just frustrated the whole game. And I remember, I think they played, it might've been a game in Indiana where they straight up said like, we're the whole game. We were out of it in the second half because we were so worried about, you know, calls we're not getting or calls that are going against us. So I think that that's another thing. It kind of gives them time to reset their minds and hopefully they're not thinking about, going in and oh is this ref going to let me play against Trey Young play the way I want to play. Mm-hmm. So, I think that that's another thing that kind of will help them in game 2. Obviously, there's no guarantee they're playing against Trey Young, so they could get frustrated again, but I think that that's something that they they'll kind of want to reset too. So, I think we're going to see a big win in Philly game 2. You'll be there. Not sure if Triple H will be there.
0: <laughs> I'm assuming. I'm assuming maybe Shawn Michaels will come. Who We're knows? going to live and say no. Maybe Shawn Michaels will show up. Who knows? That that would definitely be something that they try and rectify in game, in game two game two. Shawn Michaels.
1: Yeah, I, I, I think they should put that away maybe for for game two and, and focus less on who's ringing the bell, more on uh, the winning the game. Yeah. So, Kev, drop your Twitter handle. You know the deal at kevin mcc MBA, mine's at Jay grasso underscore follow us for the live updates uh sixers are currently in a film session right now which we need to get on that that media <laughs> availability because we're, we're, we're cutting it close here follow us for the live updates uh from practices shoot arounds, all that good stuff and uh we'll talk to you after game two thanks for tuning in